Thanks, Lisa and Joe, and for all the youth who have made tonight happen, um, setting up the chairs, welcoming, doing supper, um, and all the stuff up front. It's awesome. Um, I'm Lee. I'm the youth minister here at All Saints. I want to add my welcome to Will and Avers. It's great to be here tonight. Um, keep your Bibles open to Numbers 11. That's what we're going to be diving into tonight. So we all have people and things we turn to for different problems. Uh, when we need to recharge, um, some of us turn to coffee or a quick nap or a Red Bull um, or a quick round of Mario Kart. Some of us turn and run from people while other of us run or turn to big social gatherings if we want to recharge. Um, when we're stressed, some of us might turn to cigarettes or alcohol, um, to food or exercise, uh, heavy metal music or complete silence. What about for a quick and easy meal? What would you turn to? Where would you go? The fridge, the cereal cupboard, Uber Eats, or just invite people over and hope that they offer to bring some food? Um, when you need to present something at school or uni or work, do you turn to chat GPT or a peer or a supervisor? Um, I've noticed here at All Saints that people turn to me for like references a lot, um, like a job or a scholarship or, or something like that, but no one turns to me for relationship advice, <laughs> which is correct, is the right thing to do. I'm no good, I've got nothing. Um, but for me, at church, uh, with my work colleagues here, when I'm having trouble with the budget, I turn to Adam. When I'm having trouble with the internet, I turn to Tom. When I'm having trouble processing a Formula One result, I turn to Anton. Um, when I need to laugh, I turn to Grace. Um, and when I need creative inspiration, I turn to Mavamwi. But more seriously, where do you and I turn when... Life is not where we want it to be. Where we're not where we want to be in life. Where do we turn when work is stressful and work relationships are tense? Where do we turn when we're struggling financially? Where do we turn when our marriage isn't where we want it to be? Where do we turn when school friendships don't feel secure anymore? Where do we turn when we're experiencing deep loneliness? Where do we turn when our mental health is suffering and feels beyond fixing? Where do we turn when grief and loss are overwhelming us? Where do we turn when the weight of it all is too much to bear? And where do we turn when it feels like God is holding out on us? When it feels like God is distant? When God is allowing us or someone we know to go through something unbearable. Well, sometimes in life, we find ourselves exactly where we don't want to be, in the last place we want to be. And here in Numbers 11, God's people, including Moses, find themselves in a place they don't want to be, and they want out. For 10 chapters, you can trust me on those verse references, God's people have been impressively obedient to God the whole time, to his leading, to his instructions. But not long into their journey to the promised land, 
the grumbling begins. They complain about their hardships. They grumble about their diet. Moses grumbles about the people. Joshua, a future hero of the Old Testament, complains about two elders who prophesy in the wrong spot. What I want to do tonight is see where they turn. And I want us to see that we often turn in the same direction. So where do we turn? Where do we turn when we're not where we want to be? Well, the first thing the Israelites do is they turn away from God in the midst of their suffering and hardships. In verse 1, we're told that they complain in the hearing of God. God speaks to them, directs them, comforts them, rebukes them, but they shut their ears, and in their complaining, they turn away from God. And maybe you've been there, found yourself complaining so much that your grumbling has become earplugs. You've stopped listening to God, stopped reading your Bible, stopped paying attention at church, stopped noticing the Holy Spirit's promptings, Stop following Jesus in the way that you live. Well, in verses 2 to 3, God is angry that his people, who he has rescued and brought to himself, are so quick to complain. And those on the outskirts of the camp, maybe those who were furthest off from paying attention to God and listening, are consumed by God's judgment. But when Moses complains... God doesn't get angry. Verses 16 to 17, he actually provides 70 elders to ease Moses' burden. What's the difference? Well, Moses directs his trouble and frustration and anger towards God. He doesn't turn away from God. Look at verses 11 and 12 with me. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you, that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give birth to them? Jump down to verse 15. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me if I have found favor in your eyes and do not let me face my own ruin. If anyone deserves to be struck down or consumed by fire, surely it's Moses, right? He doesn't pull any punches. If God wanted to stamp out complaining from his people, then start with the most influential person. But actually, what Moses is doing isn't wrong. It's a good example. And he wasn't alone in the Bible. Job, David, and Jesus all turned to God in their darkest moments. Jesus poured out his anguish to his father the night before he died. And he cried out as he hung on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Life can be tough, really tough, so tough that you don't know if you can keep going like this. We will face hardships and troubles in this life as we journey to the next. But God wants us to direct all our frustration and anger and hurt towards him. The little things as well as the big things. And so I want to say tonight that if you're someone who has turned away from God because life has been so tough, I'm so sorry that that's the case, but I want to gently urge you to turn back to God, to turn to your Heavenly Father, because He always listens. He grieves with you. He wants 
to carry your burdens and comfort you through it. The second thing the Israelites do on top of turning away from God is turning to one another, but not in a healthy way, not in a good way. Um, Author Christine Huber, she says of the Israelites in this passage, their words drip with ingratitude, forgetfulness and entitlement. The Israelites turn against Moses and toward one another, echoing and fueling one another's complaints. They don't even consider turning to God, who has led them out of Egypt and provided for them every step of the way. In their complaining, they've lost sight of reality. Like, Egypt was... I should have that slide up there. Yep. Egypt was horrible. If you know anything of the Exodus story... Like, who cares about not having onions? They were treated as slaves. Their babies were thrown in the Nile River. It was horrific for hundreds of years. And the the manner they complain about in Exodus 16 is described as wafers that taste like honey. It's not that bad. And for us too, turning to each other can sometimes lead to over-validating our complaints and distorting reality. We can begin fueling each other's complaints and leading each other away from God. And complaining is also contagious. Uh, We read in verse 4 that the complaining started with a rabble, a mob among them, that began to crave other food. The grass was greener, the meat was redder, the cucumbers were cooler in Egypt. But in verse 10, what began with a small rabble has now infected the whole community. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. Have you had that experience where you only noticed a problem because someone else complained about it? A small thing became this big thing. Well, sadly, I feel like this happens at All Saints. And I feel properly rebuked by this. I complain far too easily. I find I more often than not turn to others to get validation rather than God. And I've seen people here who are encouraged and joyful at church, but who get caught up in the grumbling. And if I've been a part of that, I'm so sorry. Because we we rob each other of joy when we nitpick. And it doesn't just happen among Christians. It happens everywhere. It happens at work, happens at home, happens on the sports field. Maybe you experience just one nitpicky player who's joined your team. Just like makes the whole thing negative. But as Christians, we're not just ruining a game where we can often be hindering each other from turning to God, leading each other away from God. Look, to be honest, I'm sure the fish and melons and leek would have been a nice change from the manner that they were eating day in, day out. Life wasn't perfect. And I'm not saying all saints and church life here is perfect. There should be space for honest and constructive feedback. Feedback, But God is urging us to not echo and fuel a culture of grumbling. We should encourage each other towards grumbling in a godly way, 
it's not wrong to share our troubles with one another, but I think what's going on here is that as they turn to each other with their problems, they're being exaggerated. Lies are being fed. And they're turning one another away from God. In Galatians 6, we're encouraged, we're urged to carry each other's burdens, which will mean listening to each other's struggles and hardships. But it'll also mean helping each other to turn to God in our troubles. Helping each other to cry out to God, even if that is in anger and frustration and grief. Again, I want to encourage you in your troubles, in the loneliness, in the grief, in the stress, the hopelessness, whatever you're going through, no matter how big or small you think it is, to turn to God. And I want to encourage us to help each other do that. Lastly, the Israelites, in their turning away from God, they turn down a dead end. They ask for meat. They're sick of manna. They want meat. And in verses 18 to 20, God promises them an eye-opening amount of meat. Look at verse 20. For a whole month, until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you, and have wailed before him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? Subconsciously, I actually did this last week. Um, I did this to Grace, who I, who I work with, who you know, um, as a prank. Ask Adam, he was with me. Um, maybe subconsciously I was thinking about these verses as I did this, but she asked for like, lots of chocolate in her coffee, which was her kind way of saying, your coffee needs a lot of help. Just like, pack it with chocolate. And so I thought it'd be funny, and I thought I'd just like heap tablespoon after tablespoon of chocolate into her coffee and then just sprinkle lots and lots on top. Um, And I also made a proper coffee because I was like, she's going to not enjoy this and I should make her a proper one. But the prank failed and she loved this ultra triple (laughs) chocolate that I made for her. But this, not a prank, but this sort of thing happens in the Bible. And when you notice it, you notice it, that God gives people what they want. As they turn from him to other things, he hands them over to those things, to those desires. He wants us, he wants them to see and experience the consequences of rejecting him. It's not a prank. It's actually a loving thing of God to do, warning us that actually turning from him Running to other things is not going to lead you to a good place. Let me read from verse 31 what happens. Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It scattered them up to nearly a metre deep all around the camp. Um, Picture not like a metre deep of bird, but like that they're flying about a metre off the ground. and There's just heaps of them. As far as a day's walk in any direction quail everywhere. All that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than 160 kilograms, thousand, sorry, 600 kilograms. Then they spread them out all around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people and he struck them with a severe plague. 
Therefore, the place was named Graves of Craving, because they were bur- because they bu- there they buried the people who craved other food. Many of the Israelites, not all, but many, craved more, craved something else. And in this moment, greedily gathered piles and piles of quail. And as they shoved it in their mouths, there was still no acknowledgement of God. God graciously provided for them. But as Christine said, and as I read out earlier, their actions still drip with ingratitude, forgetfulness, and entitlement. It is a sobering picture of God. We believe that God is slow to anger, eager to show his love and grace. But the reality is when we persist down a path of turning our back on God, when you reject the one who gives you life, who alone is good, who sent his son to die for you and forgive you, it leads down a dead end. There is no life, no goodness, no forgiveness, no eternal provision outside of God. Many of the Israelites, whether they had very little or an abundance, forgot God. They turned away from from him in their troubles and in their riches. In Philippians 4, we get a better example. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. What's the secret to being content? We have so much and we're so quick to complain. I reflect on my life. I have so much. I can think about where I live in this world, in the history of humanity, and I'm so quick to complain. What's the secret to being content? To not turn into unhealthy, ungodly grumbling. Jesus, a relationship with Jesus, the presence of the one who gives us true strength. The same Jesus who hung on the cross for us, who was raised to life for us. He is with us. Moses cries out in verse 29, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets. And that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Well, Jesus is the answer to that cry. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, he opened up unhindered access to God. Something God's people in numbers in the wilderness longed for and only glimpsed at times. Through trusting Jesus, the Holy Spirit is with us forever. If you've put your trust in Jesus, he's with you forever. He is our strength. He is the secret to content. He helps us turn to Jesus and turn to God's word when we face trouble. He helps us turn to God when we naturally want to turn away. The Holy Spirit helps us cry out to God, sometimes with wordless groans, when we just want to grumble to the people around us. The Holy Spirit helps us turn our gaze to the hope we have in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is our rock, our strength, our help when we're exactly in that spot that we don't want to be. 
Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you've sent your Son and that through your Son, through trusting your Son, we have your Spirit. You dwell with us fully and forever. And I pray that we would turn to you. I thank you for the help that the Holy Spirit gives us in our troubles when we want to complain and grumble. I pray that your Spirit would help us turn to you, that we'd do this together. Because the struggles we face are real and difficult, and you know that, and you want to be there for us, and you want us to cling to you. And so I pray that we would. In Jesus' name, amen.